If you've got a Bible, can you turn with me to Acts chapter 20? just want to check something. Acts chapter 20. And we're going to be reading in a moment or two from verse 7. Before I do that, let me just uh, explain what we're preaching about and how it fits into um, the... Um, I'm, I'm going to need you to um, take me through this, Anne, I think. So we've been looking at our vision and our values, the, the things that we feel to be significant for us. And um, if you're new to our church, this is how we've come to want to define ourselves, to describe what sort of church we are. We're a growing community of whole life disciples who are alert to God's leading, paying careful attention to one another and the moment we're in so we can be good news to those around us. And over the last few weeks, we've been sort of just taking those clauses one by one. We've thought about what does it mean to be a growing church and what are the challenges of that and what are the opportunities of that. We've looked at what it means to be a whole life disciple, a disciple of Jesus who sees their primary identity, not as a church member, not as a churchgoer, but actually a follower of Jesus, but one where that changes everything across the whole of our lives and we're used in the whole of our lives. Last week and the week before, we looked at that phrase, being alert to God's leading. What does it mean to be aware of how God speaks? And what does it mean then to respond to what God does? And today I want to look at what does it mean to pay careful attention to one another in the moment that we're in? How do we help one another grow as a disciple? How do we become and continue to be the church, that actually because we gather together, we enable one another to grow in faith. That actually belonging to this church, the idea is and the desire is, that because you belong to this church, actually your faith will grow, you will expand, it will become more confident, you will grow in Christ. So I'm going to do two things today. I want to look at a story in the book of Acts, and then just reflect on some of the uh, ways we make sense of that for ourselves. So let's just read together from Acts 20, verse 7 to 12. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking till midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated at a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. And when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. And then he went upstairs again, broke bread and ate. <laughs> and get this. After talking until daylight, a dead man isn't going to stop Paul. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Brilliant little vignette of the early church with a young man who would never forget the day he fell asleep in church. I think the key moral of the story is that preachers can preach a long time, 
and, but listeners need not sit in a window frame on the third floor. I think that's actually what Luke's wanting to do. Just look at this early church, though, in action. Just two or three things. Just take us through one more. Things you might skim over on the first day of the week. So by this time, in Acts chapter 20, you've gone from people who were Jewish who would still have been worshipping together on the Sabbath, and by now they've moved their primary time of worship to Sunday, the first day of the week. And for 2,000 years, Christians have said, on the first day of the week, we gather together. It creates identity. It creates this sense of, this is what faith involves for me. One of the major spiritual disciplines that you get into is actually rocking up on a Sunday morning when there's any number of things you'd rather do. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. And it's true, you can be a Christian and not come to church. But actually coming to church, identifying yourself with a body of believers, is part of the spiritual discipline that goes, I belong here to these people at this time, because actually I'm not an individual believer. For two reasons. Firstly, because you are gifted by the Spirit. And those gifts flow out to other people. Now the problem is that depending on where you're sitting, you can feel, if I don't come, nobody notices. But actually, we do notice because when you're not here, we've not got the gifts that you bring. And secondly, the other reason to come is you're not, you haven't got all the gifts. You need other people. You need to be in a context of worship. You need somebody to get alongside you. You need to belong. So Pippa comes to church at two days old, at two weeks old. Two days would be impressive. Two weeks is still impressive. Two weeks old. Pippa's brought to church at two weeks. And I have no doubt that Rob and Nicole's desire would be actually for as long as they are able to with Pippa, they will say as a family, this is what we do. And I have no doubt that when Pippa gets to about nine or ten, if not before, she will say, I don't want to go. Because every nine or ten year old worth their salt would want to say, I've got better things to do with my time, mum and dad. And at that point, and it'll come. That's okay. You got a choice, haven't you? You got a choice. And we've all been there. We've all been through that. And the choice is this this is what we do because we follow Jesus. It's not leisure. And let's be honest. We don't need to persuade one another. Even maybe the most exciting thing we do in a week. Coming to church or going to laser quest. Coming to church or going swimming. Coming to church or playing football. Coming to church or going trampolining. Going to church or just watching the telly. Going to church or being with your mates. When you're 9, 10, 11, 12, all of those things are more exciting than coming to church. Let's be honest. So you don't come to church because it's the most exciting thing you do. You come to church because actually this is 
the rhythm of our life. It's the basic spiritual discipline. On the first day we gathered, we've done it for 2,000 years. And we lose confidence from time to time, but actually we do it because we've got an identity in Christ. And the two things then they did when they gathered were, um, that's it, the first thing is, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Now, I've got to tell you that this is how we do it here. So, um, and I'm still in the practice of saying this every week because we've changed. So what we've got here is an itsy-bitsy little drink of juice and you get a little tiny, unless you're, unless you're four years old and you get there first and you think you can take the whole thing. <laughs> but as adults, you know, you take a little scrap of, in our case, gluten-free bread. We do gluten-free so everybody's involved. Okay. Now, what's happened over 2,000 years is that this... Oh, I forgot. <laughs> you have two things to do, Neil. This becomes a symbol of what they were doing here. So there's no doubt that what was going on here was not that. Okay? And we know that because in Corinthians, Paul says, when you come together, some of you eat everything and some of you get drunk. Well, have a go. <laughs> So what they would do is when they gathered together, they'd have a meal. But that meal involved this. And it involved this because when Jesus was with his disciples, he says, when you gather together, take this bread and remember me. And drink this cup and know it's the sign, the symbol of a new covenant. And for 2,000 years, often every week, but certainly regularly, when Christians have got together, they said, whatever we do, we need to do that. And it's really important for a number of reasons. One of which is our faith is not built upon group feeling. Actually, what we say our faith is built upon is the historic fact that once upon a time, Jesus Christ, God in flesh, came, was crucified, and rose from the dead. That's the heart. And actually, it, that is the symbolic memory of the heart of our faith. And if I'm really honest, and, and I say this in the nicest sense, because I know this has been true for some of you. Some of you come, and you'll walk down the aisle to get it, and you'll go, I don't really feel it this morning. That's not the point. The point is, it's given to you by someone who does go, this is the body of Jesus. This is the blood of the Lord. This is broken for you. Will you take it? 2,000 years. And the second thing they did, they had someone who preached. And in doing so, they look at the word, and they try and help the, allow the word to make sense of life. The, what's going on here, by the way, is not preaching like this, because I'm, I'm going to preach for about 25 minutes, and then I'll stop. 
because I don't want, I'm not that convinced I can get a dead body back to life. <laughs> not even convinced I can wake up people who are asleep. But here, the preaching, the word for preaching was not one monologue, but was dialogue. So it was a kind of a conversation. But can you imagine now? You've got to imagine what's going on in that room. This is at night, in the evening. So these people who've been there have been working a full day from dawn all the way through to the evening. And Luke, when he tells his story, he says, there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. This sort of, the smoke of the lamps, the oil, you start to, start to bring a, an atmosphere, and everybody's trying to find a space to sit. And some people have got a seat, and some people are sitting on the floor. And Eutychus is a smart young guy, and he goes, if I get to the window, two things are possible. Firstly, I get my own seat, and secondly, I can look out the window. If it gets boring, I can see what's going on in the town. And Luke tells the story of one young man who falls asleep. And uh, if Anne, you can help me with this, just let's run through. Look at how Luke describes it. He was sinking into a deep sleep, gone. He was falling. He was dead. <laughs> sinking, falling, dead. <laughs> We've all been in those sort of church services. <laughs> <laughs> Luke tells that story really well. Sinking into a deep sleep, falling out the window, and dead. Dead in the midst of a community that said you could be alive. When Luke tells this story, there's a memory uh, going on of something that happens in Kings with Elijah, where Elijah does exactly what Paul's going to do. He's going to embrace this young man, and the young man's going to come back to life. But I wonder whether it's equally, equally relevant to say, you can be in the midst of a lively worshipping church that's celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus and preaching the word of God and trying to understand how the word of God speaks to you and you can die. You can die. But it doesn't stop there, of course. What happens? Paul goes down, he embraces him, he says to the congregation, don't be alarmed, and he declares, he's alive. In other words, the miracle happens in the midst of the congregation, and the obvious outcome is overturned. So how does this help us when actually what I wanted to do was to say, you've got to concentrate, we need to concentrate on paying close attention, careful attention to one another. My big thing is this. My big, big sort of headline is you can, we can have people in the midst of us who are falling, sinking, dead. And it's our task together to pay careful attention to one another so that doesn't happen. How does that happen? Well, now this is a... I wish my clicker was working, but... Um, We'll pay you double. <laughs> Whatever you're going to get, you're going to get double. Imagine a spring, okay? Imagine that each of us is a spring, all right? Now, the idea of a spring, a spring is not designed to be closed. A spring is designed to hold tension, but it's got to hold the appropriate tension, 
each of us, every one of us in this room, are carrying stuff. And that's what we need to be aware of. Everybody's carrying stuff. And it's actually just how we're doing depends on how stretched the, the, the spring is. But this is the sort of stuff that everybody is carrying some of. Let's just go through it. The demands and expectations that have been made upon us. Everybody in the room, there's some people, there's some situation, and there's demands or expectations that other people are placing upon you. And sometimes that's great. You need an appropriate demand and expectation, or you won't get out of bed in the morning. But actually, when it becomes too great, your spring overstretches. And there's some of you that actually you feel like the spring is overstretching because of what other people are asking of you, what other people are demanding of you. But everybody's got demands and expectations. The second thing is this, the expectation you have of yourself. And some of you are better at this than others of you, but some of you will consistently beat yourself up because you're not quite good enough according to your own mark. And in a congregation like this, just statistically in a congregation like this size, a fair number of you, that will be what you're like. So everything you do, you go, it's not quite good enough. Everything you do is tinged with regret. Everything you do is, I could have done that better. You are your worst critic. You are your worst critic. The third thing, uncertainty. Some of you don't know what's going to happen in the future for you. There's uncertainty with job, there's uncertainty with family, there's uncertainty with um, your context, with whatever's going on in your life. And it's kind of like that uncertainty, for some people, they revel in it. For other people, it's like, I just, can't, I just wish it was, I just wish I knew. Fourth thing, conflict. That sense that either there's conflict that you're aware of, conflict in work, conflict in church sometimes, conflict in family, conflict in your friendships. When that happens, I, I, I don't know many of us who, who live with that easily. That just produces a downward, a downward pressure upon each of us. And then finally, worry. Worry about money, worry about health, worry about whatever. Does that sound like you're in there somewhere. <laughs> Have I managed to get you all? <laughs> yeah? Now, there's other stuff. Of course, there's stuff. And, but what's happening, all right, now, this is, this is where it becomes significant. It's because everybody's there somewhere. Now, I really pray that none of you have got all five this morning. But all of us are there somewhere. And that means that when I'm in conversation with you, if I forget that, I can add, oh, hang on, G give me a chance, leave it, leave it, it's alright, pretend they haven't seen it, if I, I can add to that, or without me thinking about it, it just makes you feel like you, I don't understand. I don't know, it's that sort of phrase in your head, if only they knew. <laughs> now, that's, now this is now, not that we've all got to go around on eggshells, but the, just the careful recognition that actually everybody's carrying something. And the thing is that most of the stuff we're carrying is hidden. 
That's the problem. So when I'm dealing with you, and when you're dealing with me, and when you're dealing with one another, the call is, can I help you? Now, what do you do when your spring's being stretched so far? There's three things. Firstly, you can strengthen the string, spring. You can strengthen the spring. And I want to say that word and worship helps to strengthen the spring. There's lots of language about resilience. There's lots of great work about resilience. And there's lots of techniques. And, and as Christians, we want to embrace all of the things that can actually enable resilience. But one of the things that's specific to being a Christian is actually that when we worship together, the God who has acted on our behalf, when we hear what God has done, actually our spring strengthens. And loads of you could give testimony to that. The second thing you can do, we can do together, is we can reduce the weight. These five things are just really common things to humanity. We are no different than anybody else. But actually, as we grow in Christ, there's ways of actually enabling that weight to grow less. Once you know that actually you keep beating yourself up because you've got this self-perfectionist streak within you and you understand more about grace and being loved and being accepted and not being judged, that can actually reduce the weight. The more you go, the longer you go in life with Christ, the more you know that although you may well be anxious about the future, you may well be anxious because actually you can see that um, what's going on is that the month is going to run out. um, The money's going to run out before the month does. The longer you go, the more you know when Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will look after itself. Seek the kingdom and all you need will be given to you, which can sound like a cliche until you've lived it. The longer you've lived knowing that God provides, the weight of worry reduces. In other words, lived wisdom reduces the weight. And then the final thing is you can get support. This is what it means to pay careful attention to one another. This is what stops us dying. This is what brings life. In our place, what we try to do, um, that support, I just want to run through it really, really, very practically. And uh, Steve, if you can just um, do that. Pay close attention. There's very specific support that people in our church have offered other people. And I'm thinking about people like Judith on the back row there, who offers very specific support to people who say, I need someone for a period to sit with because actually I need someone who will counsel me. And she's trained and she's able to do that. Very specific support. There's people like Bob who've helped other people when they've had issues at work. There's people like Bev who've offered financial help to other people just to make sense of what's going on financially. There's Glyn, who's helped practically, not only practically, practically, but actually practically to write letters 
to social services and the rest of it when people have needed that. There are people in this room who've got very specific skills that will, at particular moments of crisis, actually they are willing and able to step in. And some of you have got those skills and we don't know. (laughs) In other words, there's very specific moments where we can help one another. We can offer one another general support. Teams of... (laughs) I don't think anybody noticed. Teams of people who just offer general support when people are not with us, when people are ill, when people are away. Just that connecting point. To offer support, either specific or general, needs two things. It means that if you need support, you need to ask. (laughs) I've I've been doing this sort of game long enough. I'm not really involved in pastoral work now because I've got another job, and I think everybody's really pleased about that. Um, But one of the things that, back in the day when I was a full-time pastor, working often as a sole employee of the church, um, back then, not now, back then, (coughs) remarkable how many people would expect you to know what was wrong with them without them saying. So they'd just stay away a little longer than you might imagine if they'd gone to Skegness for two weeks in a caravan. And then if you didn't contact them, they'd go, see, don't care. Well, I didn't know you. I thought you were still in the caravan. In other words, what we need is an adult relationship. We're not primarily a service. What we are is a community. And it takes courage to put your hand up and go, do you know what? We're going through a really hard time at the moment. But if we do that with one another, we can really help one another. Equally, it takes courage to say, I'm up for helping. And it takes courage because most of us feel, I haven't got much. One of the, par- one of the stories, not a parable, but one of the stories of Jesus that I love the most is that little lad who one day, on a sunny day, when there was a whole stack of people to feed, went to Jesus and Jesus said, what have you got? And um, he said, I've got two fish and five loaves. But you're welcome to have them. And anybody in their right mind would just laugh and go, well, bless you. Bless you. And Jesus did a miracle because he takes it and he makes it so much more. And when you and I say to one another, I'll be there, I can help, I will help, I'll do what I can, I'll offer you time. It may be two fish and five loaves. But Jesus can do something with that out of all proportion. And last two, there are groups where we can pay attention to one another. And then finally... There's friendship. At the end of the day, speaking personally, do you want want more than groups, more than teams of people, 
more than all of that, what I'd want is a culture that continues to develop where actually we just care. <coughs> where we don't do it because we're in a team, we do it because actually we belong to a community. Where we're so tightly connected, so we know when people are going through hard times, and actually we know how to access the support. Eutychus, in a service, fell out of a window. Paul goes down, embraces him, prays for him, declares life over him, and says, you are not going to die in my sermon. (laughs) You are not going to die in my sermon. I kind of want us to be that sort of people where we know when people are struggling and we wrap our arms around them metaphorically at least and go, you are not going to die on my watch. You're not going to die while I'm here. I won't let you go. (laughs) This, in part, is what it means to pay careful attention to one another. Let's put the slide back up. Last one. We won't always get it right. But this is the church that we see, the church we are becoming, and the church we pray, God, enable us to be like that. But it needs you and me, and we want it to be you and me and you and everyone that goes, I'm in there. Because the person you're sitting next to right now is the person that you want to grow as a disciple of Jesus. Because they're part of this church. They will grow because of you, because of us. This is what it means. This is the sort of church that I want for Pippa. So when we're all, I was going to say memories, but we, some of us won't even memories, will we? Let's be honest. But Pippa, Pippa, you'll be all right. I'm talking about old people, like me. There'll be a day in 30 years' time when I may well be with the Lord. Yeah, I'm reckon. Yeah, I think so, at the rate I'm going. I'll be happy. Don't, don't, be, don't be saying no. Hey, listen, hey, listen. If there's a, if there's a chance of resusing me, don't. Yeah, yeah. Just go with me on this. Just, I'm, not, yeah, I'm not prophesying of myself, I'm just saying. In 30 years' time, I'll either be... Anyway, it doesn't matter what I'll be. But I won't be doing this. But in 30 years' time, she will be 30. I know, it's remarkable maths. I know, I can see you. I can see you're impressed. It's like, wow, I don't know how he does it. <laughs> We've got less than 30 years to keep creating the community that we hand to Pippa. That's the point. We've got, we got 30 years in which we say, together, this is the community, Pippa. This is what it means to belong to church. Pippa will want to change things. She'll want to do things her own way, rightly so. She'll want to look at some of us old times and go, oh, that was so 2010s. And they'll, they'll want to rebel and they'll want to push again and they'll want to do stuff differently and they have to. 
every generation has to do that. And every generation of older people have to get out of the way so they can do it. But we've got 30 years for Pippa to say, actually, this is the sort of church we're giving you, Pippa. This is the sort of church we're giving you. I want to be part of that. And I know you do too. We're going to ask the band to come back. We're going to pray together as they do. And um, this is how I'd like us to pray. I would like you to stand, if you can, if that's possible. If it's not, then please stay seated. But if you're able to stand, then please stand with me. And I'm going to ask you just to put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you, if you can. I know sometimes it's a bit uncomfortable, but if you can just do that, put your hand on their shoulder or... (laughs) I was imagining this to be easier than it's proving to be, but... um... And I just want you to be really conscious of the person either side of you or the person that you've got your hand on their shoulder. This is your brother or sister in Christ. Not generally, but specifically, this person is your brother or sister in Christ. This person is the one that God says, will you care for this brother and sister? Of course, you do more than that, but particularly right now, will you care for this brother or sister in Christ? They are carrying things that you will not know. Will you be careful with them? Will you, in the way you offer your friendship, in the way you offer your support, will you help them carry the load that they carry? Will you help them grow in wisdom? Will you help their lives to be strengthened? This is your brother and sister in Christ. And perhaps while Susie and the band just start to play in the background, you can, without doing it out loud, you don't need to do that, but just pray for the person either side of you. Pray for them, if you can, to the Lord by name. If you do know what they're carrying, then pray about that. If you don't, then pray that you will be a careful friend to your brother or your sister in Christ. And then we'll worship together. And as we worship together, there will be moments and we'll create moments where you may want to share things with the whole congregation. There may be times where what you were thinking earlier in the service now becomes much more relevant even than you imagined back then. Pray for your brother or sister. Commit them to the Lord.